Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, April 14th, 2013. Today's message is titled, Be Alive, How God Brings Back Job Back to Life by Pastor Ryan Cochran and is based on scripture, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 17 to 26. So today we are focusing on the resurrection and the effect that it has on our jobs and how we are called to uh, go into our jobs with an understanding that Christ is alive and that he is present in that area of our life. He wants to bring the power and the hope of the resurrection into this area of our life. Now, what I said last week is that because of the resurrection, all of our lives now have meaning and purpose. Uh, the main verse that we looked at last week was 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. I believe it's also on the bulletin, on the front of the bulletin, and will be over the next few weeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This verse comes at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is Paul's very lengthy philosophical reflection on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after these deep reflections on the resurrected bodies that we will one day enjoy, Paul's final words are not, So, won't it be great someday when we have these resurrected bodies? Won't it be great when we are all up in heaven someday enjoying these new resurrected bodies? That's not how Paul concludes this entire reflection on the resurrection. Instead, his words are this. Because of the reality of Jesus' resurrection in history, your life and work now have meaning. Your life now is not lived in vain. The work that you do for the Lord has an eternal purpose. Because of the resurrection, our life, our work, our daily experience has meaning. We are not simply saved souls who are waiting for heaven someday. We are men and women whose spirits have been made alive to God and can can live now in the power of the resurrection and in the hope of the bodily resurrection that is to come. Our life now has meaning. And that is going to be the point of my whole sermon series. So it may seem strange to you that I chose Ecclesiastes chapter 2 as my sermon text today. Because if you were listening closely, as our brother Bill read, or if you've read the book of Ecclesiastes before, you will know what the writer's favorite word is, meaningless, meaningless. The entire book begins, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. That's how the whole book begins. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Life is meaningless. 
Learning is meaningless. Pleasure is meaningless. The sun, he says, is meaningless. The seasons of the year are meaningless. Gardening is meaningless. Wealth is meaningless. All of these things are meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, your job is meaningless. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What does a man get from all the toil and anxious striving which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. Hmm. This doesn't seem like a very helpful scripture to help us understand the meaning of our jobs. But the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is the place where we need to begin if we want to consider these various aspects of our life, our job, our friendships, our homes, our neighborhoods. The wisdom of Ecclesiastes reminds us of the proper meaning that these areas of our life should have for us. Because all of these areas of our life that we're going to be talking about are places where we are tempted to place our hope, tempted to place our source of identity. And if we do that, if we try to find our meaning and our purpose in these places, rather than in God and in our relationship with him, then we will find that they are meaningless. They were never intended by God to have that place in our life, that place. The source of our identity and meaning and purpose can only be found in God. It is in God where we place our hope. It is in God where we find our identity. It is in God that meaning in our life is found. And when we expect anything else to bring us hope or to help us find our identity, they will only frustrate us and our conclusion will be meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Today we're going to be talking about our job and how Jesus wants to bring his life into your job. In our jobs, we are especially tempted to place our identity there. In many ways, our culture tells us that we are what we do. When we first meet someone, it is very often the first question that is asked of us or that we ask of other people, what do you do? That's a fine question to ask. There's nothing wrong with that question. But it shows how closely tied up to our identity our job is, what we do. The Bible, and especially the book of Ecclesiastes, shows us that our our job is good, but it is only good as it is understood as a gift from God and as a way to serve God and as a way to bring us closer to God. I'm going to say that one more time. The Bible shows us that our jobs are good, but they are only good if they are understood as a gift from God, as a way to serve God, and as a means to bring us closer to God. When our job loses that purpose and we place some other purpose in it, this is where I place my hope for my future. This is how I understand my identity as a person. This is how I understand that I am somebody in the world because I have this job 
When we do that, our jobs will be only frustrating to us. They will seem meaningless because they cannot fulfill that role in our lives. Today we are going to see that work, our jobs, are good. They are a gift from God. They have a good, eternal purpose for you in your life when your job is done and only when your job is done for Christ and with Christ. Throughout this sermon series, as we look at each of these different aspects of our life, our job, our friendships, our neighborhoods, and our homes, we're going to have four points, the same four points in each of those sermons as we consider how we are called to live in the power of the resurrection. First, we're going to see that in each of these areas of our life, we need to be a people who have died. It's going to be point number one for every sermon. We are people who have died. If we're going to experience resurrection, we have to die. Second, we are a people who are open to God. Third, we are a people of joy. And fourth, we are a people of mission. So the four points that we're going to look at in our sermon series over these next few weeks. As we enter into our job, we are invited to experience the power of the resurrection of Christ as people who have died, as people who are open to God, as people of joy, and as people of mission. Let's begin with this business of dying. If we're going to experience the life of Jesus in our job, then we must be a people who have first died to our job. Or to put it another way, we need to confess that our work is meaningless apart from God. The work that we do is a great gift from God. From the very beginning of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, one of the first things that God created for man was work. Work is not something that came after sin. It was not something that came after the fall. Adam and Eve were given responsibility, good work to do, before sin ever happened. I think sometimes we get the idea that Adam and Eve were destined for this eternal vacation in Hawaii, laying on the beach, feeding one another grapes for all eternity, and then they sinned and messed it all up. That is not the image that we get in Genesis of what Adam and Eve did together in the garden. They were given responsibility. They were given work to do, work that would give them satisfaction, not in and of itself, but work that was satisfying because it was done in response to God and with God. Your job is a gift from God, and because of that, we can do, we can and do find some satisfaction in our work. But our work becomes meaningless and fruitless and unsatisfying when we turn it into something it was never meant to be. And for many of us, our jobs are our source of our identity. Our jobs are the way that we make a name for ourselves in the world. As you continue in the book of Genesis, we see human beings trying to make a name for themselves through the work that they do. In Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. There's a group of people, and they get together and they say, hey, let's do some work together. Let's get together and build a large tower that will reach to the heavens, and then when we're finished with this work, everyone will look at our work and they'll say, wow, 
And when they do that, we will make a name for ourselves throughout all the earth. Their work of building the tower was seen as a way to make a name for themselves rather than as a gift from God to be enjoyed because of God and for God. Their work became selfish. It became something for themselves rather than for God. And if we're going to experience the life of Jesus in our jobs, if we're going to experience his power, his influence, his action there in our jobs, if we're going to find any real satisfaction in our jobs, then we have to die to this idea that our jobs are the place for us to place our identity, the place where we would find meaning, to make us believe that we're somebody. The Apostle Paul understood this really well, I think, and I would encourage you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. Paul knew very well in his own life how tempting it was to place his identity in whatever role he played in society, whatever function, whatever job he had in society. And so he begins to list in Philippians chapter 3 all of the roles that he played in society, the functions that he played, including being a Pharisee, which was a teacher of others about the law. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. In other words, Paul says, if anyone has a reason to take pride in the work that he does, it's me. But he says this about his work. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. If we're going to experience the power of the resurrection in our jobs, then we must die to our jobs as our source of identity, as the place where we think that we are somebody. If we're going to experience the power of the resurrection in our jobs, the second point is that we will be a people who are open to God. Let's look back again at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. The writer of Ecclesiastes does this amazing thing, I think. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In verses 24 and 25, after he has gone on and on and on about the meaningless of all the work under the sun and how it only brings grief and pain, in verses 24 and 25, it's as if all of a sudden he remembers God. Verse 24 and 25, A man can do nothing better, better than to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat? Or find enjoyment. Wow. For the writer of Ecclesiastes, our jobs are meaningless, but then God shows up. And when God shows up at our job, then our job can be a source of enjoyment and satisfaction. 
when our jobs are the source of identity for us, when they become our purpose, when we try to find our meaning in life in our jobs, they will be empty. They will seem meaningless. But if we see our job as a gift from God and as a way for us to serve him, then our job gets put in its proper place in our lives, in its proper order in our lives. Our job can then be received as a gift. Our job can then be seen as a way to serve God, the one who does give us meaning and purpose. So we are open to God first by seeing our job as something that's been given to us by God. We receive it as a gift. And we also are open to God in our jobs through prayer. How can you make prayer a part of your job? Have you ever considered that question before? If you haven't, I would encourage you to do that. How can prayer be a part of my job? If you're going to experience the life of Jesus in your job, it will only happen if prayer is a part of that work. I suspect I know what some of you are saying. That's easy for you to say, Pastor Ryan. You're a pastor. Prayer is obviously a part of your work. It must be easy for you for prayer to be a part of your work. And it's true. It is, I'm sure, easier for me. But I want to say that it is just as me as easy for me to prayerlessly go about my work as it is for you. I do understand how easy it is to forget prayer in my work. And this word is a reminder for me as well. Prayer must be a part of our work or we will forget our work's purpose. We will forget that it has been given to us by God and as a way to serve God. We're called to pray for those around us, for those we work with. Maybe in ways that that they know that we're praying for them. Maybe for prayers in secret for them. We're called to pray in our job, to ask him about what he wants us to do when we encounter difficult situations. When you encounter a frustrating uh, problem or a frustrating person, do you have any frustrating people in your jobs? Probably. Pray about them. And what about simply praying for the work that you are doing? I don't mean that you need to to pause and to get on your knees and to pray every 10 minutes that you're doing your job, but what about simply praying for the work that you're doing. Unless you are doing some job that is immoral, your job, no matter how menial it may seem to be to you, your job is making a contribution to your business, to your city, to our culture. Otherwise, your company wouldn't have hired you to do it. You are making some kind of good contribution. So pray about it. Pray for your job and the contribution that you are making. When we make prayer a part of what we do in our job or how we go about doing our job, we open our job up to God. We become aware of God in that place. We pull back the curtain a bit and refuse to allow this job to just be about this job. Again, returning to Ecclesiastes, it was when the writer considered God and his activity that then work became meaningful. Meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. But wait a second. Man can find satisfaction in his work, and this too is a gift from God. For without him, who can eat or have any enjoyment? It's from God that we can enjoy and find satisfaction. 
in our job. Prayer keeps our minds focused on what is ultimately important, even as we go about our day-to-day work. The third point is that in our jobs we will be a people of joy. Work can be a place of great frustration and disappointment. Frustrating people, frustrating circumstances. For some of you, it may feel like your job is always under threat, always wondering if you're going to have a job tomorrow. For some, the pay that you receive probably feels like it's never quite enough to meet your needs. You watch as people in your business get promotions and raises that they don't deserve. There's favoritism in office politics. For some of you, your job may just seem really pointless to you. You don't feel like you're really making any kind of valuable contribution. You don't feel like your job really has much purpose. There's all kinds of ways in which our jobs can be frustrating and disappointing and feel meaningless. And for everyone, even those of us who love our jobs, there are moments where it is just frustrating. It is just disappointing. Nothing works out like we think that it should. But in spite of that, because we are a people of the resurrection, in our jobs we can be a people of joy. When we know that this job is not where we find our ultimate identity and meaning and purpose, but that those things are only found in God, it puts our job in proper perspective. Losing it, being passed over for a promotion that you've been working years for, nothing that can happen in that job can take away your true source of identity and meaning, which is in God. When we know that this job is not the place where our ultimate satisfaction lies, then nothing in our job can steal our joy. It can make us frustrated, yes, angry, yes, but it cannot steal our joy if we have placed our hope in Christ. Last, we are going to be, if we are going to experience the power of the resurrection in our jobs, we will understand that we are a people of mission. We are a people of mission. There are two things that I want to say about this today. The first thing that I want to say about us as we enter into our jobs, understanding that we are a people of mission, is to help us better understand that there is no separation in our lives between what is meant to be worship and what is not worship. One of the things that keeps us from being people of mission is that we very easily compartmentalize our lives so that we have our job over here, and maybe what we would call the real world, and then we have our church life where we do good things for God, usually within the context of some kind of church program. We need to destroy this division in our life. All of life is an act of worship. We need to break down this radical separation between what is work for God and what is not. What is work for God out in the world and what is work for God or what is work out in the world and then what is work for God in the church. We need to destroy this separation. It doesn't exist. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Turning to some strange places I suspect in the Bible today. Leviticus chapter 19. As I read these first 11 verses of Leviticus chapter 19, I want you to pay attention to these instructions. 
and how in these instructions we hear how there's no distinction between religious practices and practices that we do in our everyday life. The two are intertwined together. Leviticus 19, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect his father and mother, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn idols, do not turn to idols or make gods of cast metal for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because he has desecrated what is holy to the Lord. That person must be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land... Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. And on and on. Did you notice? In the same verse, we have honor your father and mother and observe the Sabbath. As Eugene Peterson says, clean up your room and go to church are both acts of worship. Verses 5 through 8 are a long, somewhat detailed instruction about how to go about sacrificing a fellowship offering when you take it to the temple. Immediately after this long description of how to go about making this sacrifice, he talks about how we should harvest our fields how we practice communion, and how we tend our garden are both acts of worship. Worship is not only something that happens here on Sunday mornings from 1030 to 12. I think all of us know that. But yet, in the way that we live and think about our life in the world, often we forget it. This time of worship is precious as we gather together, but this hour and a half is intended to be a microcosm, a a picture of what we do in all of our life. This time on Sunday morning is intended to shape you to live a worship, uh, to live a life of worship day by day and moment by moment. All of the things that we do here on Sunday morning are things that we should do every single day to set aside time of praise to God to pray for other people in the world, to study and to read the word of God, to give our money to God. When we take communion each month, we eat in thanksgiving to God for his provision in our life. Do we not do that every single day when we sit down at a meal and pray? All of these different pieces of our worship service are meant to shape you, to prepare you, to do the same kinds of things in your day-to-day life. Yes, of course, they look a little bit different, but they are the same kinds of things. Prayer and praise, study of the Word of God, giving of our money to God. All of these things that we do on Sunday morning are all things that we are called to do in our everyday life. Our whole life lived before God 
That's what we are called to. So to live in the power of the resurrection in our life, we need to refuse to make this separation between our church life on one hand and our life with God on the uh, our church life and our life with God on one hand and all the rest of the stuff that we do. We need to destroy this separation. Instead, to see our church life as the place where we are formed and shaped to live a life of worship and service to God. Your work is worship and service to God. At least it potentially can be. Potentially can be if you are willing to offer it to him. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Offering our bodies to God is our spiritual act of worship. What this says to me is that your work itself can be an act of obedience and worship and service to God and others. In other words, your work, when it is done in faith, when it is done in prayer, is not just a means to pay the bills. It's not just a means to do work so that you can then go about doing the real work of evangelism or the real work of being an elder and a deacon or the real work of being a Sunday school teacher. It is not just a means so that you can do these other churchy things. Your job is an act of worship and service to God. It is not the source of your identity. But when you are open to God, when you are a person going about doing that job in faith, you are worshiping and serving God. The second thing that I want to say about being a people of mission is that as our jobs are a daily place of worship, it is also necessarily a place where we serve and bear witness to others, where we serve Jesus and bear witness to him. In Jesus' appearance to his disciples in the upper room after the resurrection, he said, As the Father sent me, I am now sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I want to say to you, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, which most of us in this room are, to listen to this word, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And to believe that Jesus has sent you into your workplace. You may absolutely hate your job. The thought of waking up tomorrow morning and going to work may already be eating on your stomach. But even if that is the case for you, can this be a word for you today? As the Father sent me, I am sending you. In what way may that understanding of God's presence and his power sending you into that place, how might that change your perspective on what your purpose is there? How might you go about doing your job differently, understanding that God has sent you there? Are there any other opportunities for you to serve God in that place that you haven't noticed before? Because God has sent you there. If we're going to be a people of the resurrection, we need to see ourselves as sent ones, as missionaries, as people who have been sent into the world, into our jobs, our friendships, our neighborhoods, and our homes, as witnesses to the good news of Christ. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. 
our jobs are meaningless. They have no purpose in and of themselves. When we invest in them meaning, when we place our hope in them, when we find our identity in them, they can do nothing but frustrate and disappoint us. We must die to this idea that our jobs give us meaning and identity. But as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, but God, but God. As we are a people open to God, when God becomes our source of hope, when God becomes our source of identity, then our jobs can be a place of meaning and satisfaction as they are received as a gift from him and as a means for us to serve him and to love him and to draw more closely to him. It is only when we put our jobs in that proper place, in their proper order in our lives, that we will then be able to enter into them as people of joy and as people of mission. Let's pray together. God in heaven, I I ask that for each of us, as we uh, enter into our jobs or into other works of service that we do, Lord, that you would help us to die to that thing. That you would help us not to hold on and to place and invest our identity in that thing. But instead, to die to it and to understand that our hope and our meaning and our purpose is in Christ and in him alone. Lord, make us open to the way that you are working in our lives. Lord, help us to see in our jobs the the people who may need our prayers, the people who may need care, the way in which our job itself is making a contribution to our company and to uh, our city and to our culture. Lord, help us to see your hand in that place. God, and as we do that, I pray that you will make us a people of joy and a people of mission. I ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.